to Big Red Couch, a podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Welcome, listener, to episode 123, 123 of The Big Red Couch. Tonight on the couch is my co-host, Craig, all the way over in England, and myself it's ben here in new zealand and today we have the newly picked prompt tomb temperature to turn into some sort of role-playing game how are we doing with that um okay i think i mean time will tell the audience will 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 no doubt tell whether it actually went okay or whether i'm just kidding myself here but um i think i have an idea yeah i we we seem to have picked a mode of operating which means that the task we're doing the more we practice it the harder it gets which is i don't know is that some sort of violation of the laws of entropy yes yes it is well yeah on this on this podcast young man we obey the laws of thermodynamics i can't substantiate that yeah it's more running out of good ideas and having them collide with one another mm. yes so good fun that Hmm. We we also have a pitch for a previous episode that didn't quite make it in. So if all of our ideas turn out to be shit, hey, at least there's stuff from the outside world and people who aren't us. Indeed. Which I suspect is, is right up there with the, okay, kids, just sit through these cartoons and I promise there'll be some really good ads in the next ad break of uh, the podcasting world. Nice. Well, we don't have the... Oh, there's a... There's a fun technical term for the adverts they slide into um, podcasts, which these days you can they can now update on the fly when you have specifically um, high-tech media companies, not poor schmucks with audacity. Wow. Residual content or something like that? Yeah, it's, a, it's a one of those creepy terms. So basically, if you, if you go and re-download the episode, there might be different ads in it. Well, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it happens for a reason. One of the musical interludes, known as the weather, and welcome to Night Vale. The musician in, quest- in question turned out to be a a huge shitbag, so they they removed it from the, epi- the, the from the episode retroactively. But that was a very it's a fairly specific case. You've got to hope very specific, fairly conscious thing. But yes, no, the adverts will, especially with I mean, especially with a podcast that has touring shows the idea that you're getting an advert for a touring show from four years ago well yeah it's not yeah not very useful you know welcome night Vale doesn't do external adverts but now my other favorite the daily zeitgeist start each of their um intros with and right off the top we just like to say fuck coke industries and fox news <laughs> interesting because they talk about political uh, goings on apparently the advertising aggregator had started inserting episodes for those things but i had never been here i'd not been hearing them presumably because they also geolock these things not that i can do anything with glyco insurance or blue fucking apron or anything like that it's it's a weird it's a weird world because there are people out there trying to advertise you but they've got no idea they can have have no guarantee that you can receive or pay for their services Mm. they may have no understanding that there are places in the world where their services do not apply well why would they care eh. in this particular circumstance? But and I I don't know if I've related this experience on the podcast before, but one of the um, I think it's the one of the ends of the seasons of, and in fact this this may this may actually be be ruined, but the ends of one of the seasons of the Black Tape podcasts, which is about this thing about the um, a piece of music which is so intrinsically bound with a mathematical basis of the of the universe that it was going to destroy the world they for some reason and this could be because of just the fact that they were doing some advertising changes anyway or because there'd been a gap between me downloading them or something all the ads were different and they kind of felt like parodies of ads that i'd heard on the podcast before and i was going oh shit they're doing this thing where the universe is breaking down and all the, they're they're going and they're advertising this like weird thing and then I realised, and I thought that they're actually they'd actually like decide, okay, we're not going to do any more of the series. That they're just just sitting there, just pushing down the plunger on the the detonator, just blowing the entire thing up. And I eventually realised, no, it's just these ads were a bit newer than the others. I was like, 
They're not doing some sort of weird wall-breaking event. It's just the advertising update. Damn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not for not for a small reason as the the Venom box advert from Welcome to Night Vale is still one of my favourite bits of that of that show. Well, it has many many glorious pieces, but the bit about the poorly secured cardboard box full of biting, stinging things delivered to your home. Okay, Venom box. Nothing to do with the movie then. No, no. Because I was a bit confused for a while there, and then it's a wait, this seems increasingly unlikely to be a movie tie-in as time goes by. Okay. No, that was that was considerably before the movie and maybe, you know, may outlive that particular cinematic experience. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that was that was a needless diversion. That's what we're about. <laughs> as people. Indeed. <clears throat> so tomb temperature. Tomb temperature. How do we want to do this? Why don't you lead off? You you claim to have been thinking hard. I've been thinking. Thinking hard or hardly thinking. Sorry, I'll, I'll be... Oh, I was thinking of the, the Richard Preble, New Zealand politician. Oh, oh, didn't he do a book that nobody read? Yeah, called I've Been Thinking. It's like, people are just looking at it sceptically going, yeah. <laughs> yes, right. it seems unlikely. Was that the one that he printed up an enormous numbers of copies of, sent to people unsolicited... With an invoice. Am I remembering this correctly? That does seem like a former National Minister of Finance kind of move. I That, that could entirely could be uh, apocryphal, but yeah. It doesn't sound out of possibility. Yeah, the, the idea was that people would, would, would then like either send the book back or send the money back, but what happened with most people is either bend it put it unopened on a shelf, and yeah. the whole thing was a bit laughable, to be honest. Well, I don't believe it is legal to do opt-out billing for services no one has asked for. Indeed. Which is probably the kind of thing a, a former minister for a, a country's financial sector should be aware of. I'm pretty confident that New Zealand, at least, has the Rompala Clause, which specifically deals with who owns stuff that has been sent out. That's effectively mm. a, did you pay for the book? Then until you did, it's not your book. Yeah. Right. And if you never agreed to pay for the book, it's definitely not your book. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, it, it, it was a weird one. Um, I think it's the Rampala clause. Hmm. We, 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 shall, we shall show note that if anyone's vaguely interested. I, I, I can barely remember what Richard Pribble was about, apart from doing things like that, but... I'm sure he must have done something. At some point. Indeed. Topical. Hmm. Alright, so, tomb temperature. I eventually got to somewhere that I think is actually worth worth turning into a game. Mm-hmm. But it did... So, sort of, thinking, thinking about tomb temperature kind of made me think that you're either using it as a descriptive term, so something something is... Is tomb temperature, which is possibly a little bit of a creepy thing. Like, say, oh yes, yeah, the ghosts must be coming out because the room has suddenly dropped to tomb temperature. Uh, which is, you know, a bit ghost chasers and um, panicky green faces in the dark television and that kind of thing. The other thing was just the idea of a, a simple little readout somewhere that is showing the temperature of a tomb, which then made me wonder, well, why, why are you monitoring the temperature of a tomb? Either because you want to know when it changes, or you want to know when it hits a certain safe value. Hmm. Either of these seem like the sort of thing that, you know, if you're monitoring that on a tomb, something's going on here. I did briefly try to think of whether I could come up with anything tasteful based on the um, the sarcophagus at Chernobyl. Good luck. Yeah, I, I, I kind of gave up on that one after a while, because yes, while there is... That, that, that is definitely the tomb of a nuclear reactor, and the temperature of melted-down nuclear reactors is a concern, because that's not going to decrease for a really long time. Um, I couldn't really come up with a, a useful game out of it. Yes, a, a game of waiting several thousand, hundred thousand years for um, half-life of some sort of fissile material. Not as exciting, maybe? Yeah, yeah, and it seems a bit iffy. It was difficult to come up with anything that wasn't basically just a rehash of Stalker. Fair enough. So what I came up with instead is basically weird 
weird martial arts bullshit. Or supernatural martial okay. arts bullshit. So we're taking little bits of Mr. Vampire and miscellaneous other uh, sort of supernatural martial arts films. And we're adding in... Well, this is based on the, the, um, the mausoleum of the first Quinn Emperor, which is where the terracotta warrior thing is from. And yeah, the actual mausoleum is said to have... Um, you know, have been a model, effectively a model of the city, uh, rivers with merc- sort of with mercury flowing in them, um, a sea with some sort of wave making thing. It was supposed to be this 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 model of the city for the afterlife kind of thing. What that kind of brought to mind was the idea of setting a game in I I don't know the the correct names for the time period, but basically setting a game in in imperial China. Or, depending on how you want to do it, Imperial China analogue for role-playing purposes. Sort of file-off-the-serial-numbers um, type setting. Uh, it would probably be more respectful to actually do the research and actually base it in an appropriate place, rather than... Uh, Maybe not based on what I'm going to do with it, but yeah, I take your point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well... You might say it might be better than fortune cooking it. That so, is true. Yeah, it's yeah. You, you could go either way. Either you you sort of yeah you 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 could either go with the well it looks a lot like China but we're trying to be a little bit respectful and not actually call it that or we go the other direction. It, it um, or, you know lots of places can have very extravagant emperors and, mm. and tombs and so forth. So it doesn't have to be. It might. You might borrow the idea. That is true. You could, you could, yeah, yeah. But in any case, so you've got, you've got the imperial tomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe rather than being a model of the city, it's a model of the empire. And this is the tomb where the first emperor was was buried. And this is the tomb where basically important, you know, all the subsequent emperors have also been buried. Important governors, important officials. This is. This is the the tomb of the empire. Woohoo! This is this is this is where all of this stuff happens. So it's probably very big, and it's probably buried underground somewhere. But obviously, there's access ways so that you can put in extra bodies. And yeah, it's built as very much a model of their version of the afterlife. And sometimes, when those conditions are just right, that model becomes real, and the tomb kind of becomes more of a gateway and things hmm. start to leak out. And then you've got these poor bastards who are probably realistically the, the, the grave, you know, double as the, 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 the grave digging crew, so to speak, get to go and try to deal with it. In terms of, I mean, the temptation to use something that allows you to do just ridiculous martial arts action is enormously tempting. Because then it allows you to do the the whole sort of Mr. Vampire, hopping ghost thing, all sorts of fun and wacky monsters, uh, people wading in with with sort of spades and and rakes and everything. Whether or not these people have any official capacity of like, yes, we're here to deal with the things that leak out of the underworld, or whether it's more a, no, this is just part of our gardening duty. Could go either way. Hmm. Or part of our grave, grave digging duty. It could go either way. In terms of how the game would run, I, I quite like the idea that the the, the 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 tomb temperature that they do have a sensor, but yeah, you know, rather than being a little digital readout, it's just like yeah, there's probably sort of a tube of mercury or a tube of water or something, and then at some point, hello, the indicator's frozen. That means the tomb's gotten cold enough that the spirits are going to start to leak again, hmm. and we're going to have to go and figure out where the hell they went and. Yeah, on the, the the light-hearted approach could be maybe if this thing is sort of very much a model of the empire, then maybe some of the spirits that are coming through they aren't actually particularly malevolent. They're just the equivalent of people from the country who've never been to the big city. Now they're dead. They have that opportunity, and so they're effectively wandering around and looking at stuff. They're hick tourists who don't understand that the stuff they're looking at is people who are terrified of ghosts. And also that maybe you shouldn't just possess people and drive them around. Hard to argue the levels of innocence there, but yes, the idea that, you know, G-bar, don't these people dress all fancy mm. when you're, the person you're, you're dealing with has been dead for several 
several generations anyway. Indeed. Yeah, I, ra- rather than just having it being, oh no, it's a big hole in the ground, sometimes ghosts get out when it's cold. The, the, the initial thing that you, you spoke to was possibly the idea that rather than just being a big static tomb, is it effectively a necropolis, that this place is... To keep the harmony and keep the balance of the, of, of, of the world they live in, they have created a giant replica of the world above, below, and people are brought to the necropolis to be placed in the correct places, you know, in, in their correct things, and this is what is keeping everything, the, the possible disruption from, from evil spirits and so forth, in check. And this all all perfectly balanced and all set up, and somehow, unlike us modern enlightened folks, they figured out a way to make this sustainable go you guys that's pretty impressive and keep it going but the, it's not perfect there are problems like say you, you get somebody who's like ah they 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 were a native of this province and you 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 set their little the the urn with their their cremains or whatever in the right place but nice word cremains i'd sort of it's a technical term really um, wow okay mm-hmm. that's something every day on this yeah. podcast god we're educational not really but leave me my illusions the idea that you might have something misplaced and it's causing a disruption it's like all right we know that there is stuff going down here and simultaneously stuff going down here so maybe we've got a a, a misplaced spirit maybe we've got to track down what actually happened and uh. the issue. Um, or maybe you know someone someone w- was was disrespectful when they should have been you know you know put it laying their their ancestors rest properly or mm. a wheel came off a cart and some some part of this this delicate mechanism was was broken or something but the, so the thing is fucking massive but it all serves a purpose it is a, you know a, a a great place of reverence and respect and you know the the, the if you're going to put it into a fantasy setting it would be a very structured society with big on ancestor worship oh yeah you don't have to you don't have to it possibly in the mode of ancient china you don't have to say ancient china but with bugbears or whatever but that would be the kind of thing that would sort of invoke that kind of setting. Mm. Yeah, so that that would be a way of it not just being like medieval magical ghostbusters running around punching spirits. But yeah, okay, we've got to sort out the we've got to sort out the leak and find out what's going on, but then trace it back to its source and then set everything to rights in the in the appropriate respectful way so the um the rift between the 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 world of the living and the world of the dead is repaired and the the spirits stop as it were kicking off yeah yeah i, I was just i was just looking at a i think it would be a waste to come away with the idea of this gigantic necropolis that is a replica of the the empire and have just people running around in a in um a like a funerary cart with with a with uh, a horn and um lanterns above it basically being the ghostbusters in the wrong era i mean i'd like that to happen at least once well sure though you know and and to make it more if you want if you want to do more a more complex examination of where a system like this is going maybe the empire is doing really well maybe their this their 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 way of dealing with the departed is actually you know it's one of the central tenets of a very strong robust empire but empires expand and they have wars. How do you deal with that? Well, the other thing, stepping from the the Ghostbusters slash Coco Mexican Day of the Dead kind of kind of uh, vibe, and going a bit a bit darker on it. You know, if you're if you're going with this whole thing of they've got this necropolis and it keeps the afterlife ordered. Well, from a certain point of view, that's great. But from another point of view. You've got the situation of... yeah. So hang on a sec. I, I was a good and faithful servant of the Emperor my entire life. I die, and the fucker's still in charge. And always will be. That doesn't seem that great, to be honest. Depending on your point of view, that was totally what was expected to happen in some societies. So there, there are pharaohs and whatnot who took their servants with them. Mm. So yeah, it's like... That was normal. It was normal, yeah, but um, you can sort of imagine that sort of a... Yeah, I mean, that seemed normal, but that was like 5,000 years ago. And to be honest, it's starting to get a little old. You might have to be running a very 
socially conscious version of Wraith, though, to sort that out. Well, rather yeah. Rather than the poor bastards on the other side going, I don't know what's going on, Chief, but they've got a petition. Indeed. I mean, you could you could go with the comedy thing of petition. You could go with a revolution uh, in the afterlife. Hey, how exactly do you deal with that one? Alternatively, depending on just how massive the necropolis is and how expansive it is, what if it's starting to exert pressure on the rest of the afterlife? That it's sort of so detailed and so ordered that it's actually starting to affect everywhere else. And again, you could go with the comedic version of a bunch of Vikings turning up saying, what the shitting fuck is going on here, please? Yeah, we are hanging out in Valhalla and suddenly there's paperwork. What's going on? That would be a interesting conversation about colonialism. Indeed, yeah. Look, we've heard about your empire. We, we acknowledge it's very big. But also, we're getting a bit of stick from our, you know, our ancestors in, in their halls, who are apparently also have heard about your empire, and yes. They are rather less keen. Indeed, yeah. That's, uh... Hmm. That's probably where I would go if I wanted to have some sort of some sort of bigger backstory going on if i wanted to put in put in a bit of meta plot have have stuff start to happen where it's just okay so this is a, this is a bunch of restless ghosts who went and did these really weird things and they do seem to be actually attacking the foundations of the empire why is that and then it turns out that yeah some of them were imperial subjects some of them weren't some of them were from entirely outside. What's going on here? And very much, if you yeah, you could have a bit of fun with the notion of well, if we can't tear the, down the the necropolis in the afterlife, let's just tear down the guys who built it. It'll crumble eventually. Mm, yeah, I got I got misgivings about oh, yeah. that on some levels. I mean, if you could do it with the nuance of a Pratchett. That would be the thing. You could, you could make it very dark and very commentary on any number of political things and, and social things and historical things. But yeah, you'd probably want to go, as you say, more Pratchetty. Well, yeah, the, the idea of having it cross into different structures of belief. I mean, if it's kind of, you know, vaguely ridiculous or the fact that this, the system works real well except for the fact that we're having to knock a new wing into Anacropolis because that last um, campaign bit re- went really well mm. also there's a lot of was, we will say was also having to um, inter a lot of the glorious dead in various places it's starting to get quite crowded yeah yeah and if I, I guess if you want to take the the inter- like the internal life of the empire and spin it forward far enough. You could play something like a straight up Imperium of Man. The entire place is tr- is struggling to keep the necropolis maintained because it has been so successful and so good at what it does. And in most cases, you know, the dead outnumber the living, but depending on circumstances, it's you know, there could be more upkeep possibly necessary than than is long-term sustainable so you've got this sort of teetering basically basically an overpopulation problem because you've only got so many living people and so much and so much space to take care of the entire back catalogue of your empire Mm. so it could become unwieldy and that could be that could be a way of doing a dark uh calamity focused one yeah where the 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 crop yeah, the the entire economy is based around the necropolis and keeping the necropolis happy, as it were. Well, not that the, it's not the economic drive; it's that the fact that there is now a, I believe it's called technology debt of necromancy or spiritual magic to keep this thing established, mm. and it is starting to get out of the the organization it exists in's ability to keep under control. Nice, yeah. It is grimly reminiscent of some aspects of my job, sadly. <laughs> it got dark. Yep, yep, yep. <sighs> Alright, well, that's where I went with it. Hmm. I like a lot of those options. They, they mm. seem interesting. I, my, only, my misgiving about having someone else's afterlife impinging on another, like, cultures is like, ooh, that's a thing. Yeah. Gotta be careful there. I, I, yeah, I would go with the... I would want to go with the light-hearted, the light-hearted comedic ver- version of this. I mean, not a hundred percent 
funeral wagon with lanterns attached and uh, somebody blowing a streamer uh, racing through the streets at night. But, um, yeah. The, the bit where you've got an empire's um, afterlife colonizing another's is a bit on the nose. That's why oh, yeah. I, 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 I suggested a, a Terry Pratchett level of nuance to be applied to that because lovely man could also see where things were going to get thorny and do very, very interesting ways of still talking about sort of complex problems by sometimes dressing up in, as, as funny creatures, mm. um, but also just talking to them directly. So yeah, that's kind of intriguing. Hmm. I am also liking the idea of afterlife tourists that the, the, the whole thing of, okay, so we've got some ghosts wandering around and, where the hell are you guys from? I mean, really? That could be vaguely entertaining. Hmm. Or ridiculously stereotypy, depending on which way you wanted to go. Uh, there are rubes in every culture. That is, that hmm. is universal. <laughs> All right. So, yes, that was that was my idea for Tomb Temperature. Cool. All right. The idea I came up was pretty much the one that you, you diverted away from. So, well done. I, I diverted away from a few of them, but okay. Well, it kind of was a bit of a both of them. I didn't immediately think of the of Chernobyl, but it had a similar sort of idea. And I was like thinking, how about tumor temperature? Well, I, I, I the ones I bounced off with was some sort of zombie medical drama. Okay. <laughs> Someone out there is capable of making that a good game, and it's not me. I'm desperately trying to think of a of a medical show that I can work. A, a zombie riff into the title of, but I'm coming up blank. Feels like there should be something for Saint Elsewhere, but it's not quite working. Mm, mm. Yep, yep. Can't think of anything for Shortland Street either, so mm. the local equivalent. But yes, it would have all of the same things of dramatic diagnoses and ridiculous romantic twists and so forth, but everyone is dead, so the medical stuff is sort of maybe a little less urgent. <laughs> His arms come off. Oh, get the stapler. And and the robots is just maybe a bit unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That, some, someone will figure out how to do it. I'm, I'm, the internet is, is vast and... Um, Full of horrors. Uh, the other one was, of course, sort of like a ghost hunters meets queer eye for the undead guy kind of thing. So, someone else? Go for it. <laughs> I don't think it's me, though. I mean, that's just putting me in mind of uh, some of the ideas for Ghost Watch, episode 50. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. But the one I, I came back to was the idea of having a vast necropolis has been inaccessible for, for eons, but it was frozen, basically, encased in ice, and it is now thawing out slowly. And you can either take it as being like, uh climate change allegory or maybe literally there is a curse on this place to keep it a nice cool temperature and that is starting to wear out mm. Ian M. Banks's matter had something called the nameless city which was I think it was more buried in silt or um, something rather than ice but same sort of thing you know? and you know of course and that's that um, the normal thing happens when you go and disturb something that has re- has Lane dormant for uh, eons, but you know, terrible, terrible things happen. <laughs> Some people, people, people got to poke the thing. It is, it is true. But the idea, the idea that I was one was wondering about is taking a dungeon delve and then, but turning it into something more like uh, the ascent of Everest or something. Having a base camps and having very, very a focus on supplies and making sure that everyone's healthy and that you can get there and back in the appropriate amount of time and you're making decisions about strategic decisions about thawing out particular places or you know using magic to get into somewhere and so it is more of a sort of an archaeological thing but also with adventure elements to it as well okay and actually yeah map it map it out make it a real all right we want to go to this place because we we figure this is where the um Probably the the least frightful undead are. And we're going to go. Well, this is this is where we'll find the information we need to deal with this problem. Interesting. Okay. So rather than you know a pack of hooligans wandering around breaking shit and stealing everyone's pies, you have it more being it might there might be you know as as legitimate a claimant on the place in question, but the approach is more structured and more sort of like all right, we're going down going down to the third level. We know this place here. We're going to try and do these things. 
If we go this way, we can avoid the horrifying death traps over there. Okay, yeah. As I say, make it more like the idea of you're you're assembling base camps and you're getting supplies. Make it more logistics and dragons. No, that's not quite right. Logistics and pack horses? No. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe taking the elements of the more simulationist D&D and making and, and focusing on, you know, what have you got in your pack? How many iron, how many iron spikes have you got, etc. To be more of a focus of it, um, might be a thing people might enjoy. Not sure. Just uh, that's the that's the idea that that I thought of coming across that bit. Mm, well, you've got sort of you've got the as it were the the campaign management or the the yeah the sort of the the, the management aspects of it. You've got the going into dangerous places and trying not to get your face eaten off aspect of it. Hmm. Depending on how you wanted to go, you can have. Because I remember from the the first Mummy film, they weren't the only ones on location. Hmm. So yeah, you could have potentially. Okay, you've got your operation and your your after whatever's there, but there are other people there as well. Yes, and so if it's something that is as large as the um, Nameless City was, there might be a lot of groups trying to do different things. They kind of work together where it's not, you know, it's beneficial to do so, but they're quite secretive. But if, say, there was something discovered that they all felt they had a stake in, and there would definitely be an attraction to this, to something, clearly this is the thing everyone is looking for. So, yeah, there could be a level of competition, or at least... uh, negotiation on that level as well mm. yeah we need to get through this incredibly uh, death trappy gallery we know you guys can do it what's it going to take mm. the other way that I thought about it was, was possibly influenced my suggestions for your one is that the channel houses the, the, the great necropolis in question is kept at a temperature suitable for, for keeping the, the departed in good condition and something is going wrong so you're, it is actually an attempt to get the environment normalised for this particular place and to uh, stop everything getting squelchy. So basically going in there and fixing the HVAC before everybody melts. Yeah, yeah, I guess that is a bit more, um, yeah, a little bit more pedestrian possibly. I think we can come up with some way of making it a bit more bold and heroic. True, yeah, bold and, yeah more bold and heroic than maintenance people of the necropolis. Hmm. Like a like the suggestion for your one, if this is like a living, breathing, not breathing, something else, bit like breathing, um, entity that is keeping the uh, keeping the empire strong and so forth, and it has it has to run as an organization. But there are a group of troubleshooters, hopefully not literally, who go and deal with the the individual problems for that one. That could be that could be kind of kind of keen. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. That would be quite cool. Hmm. Currently, I'm very intimately running a very small D&D game that involves a uh, exo-archaeological expedition in the middle of a desert with some sort of extremity of a possible space horror. Excellent. Go, you good space horrors. Wait, that sounded wrong. That might come into it, the idea if that's the kind of thing that would appeal. Hmm. That would be be quite a fun one. I do quite like the idea of the... uh, it reminds me of the book, which might have been a Silverberg or might not have. I, I can't remember. The Man in the Maze. Yeah. Which basically has an expedition trying to get to the centre of this enormous alien death trap of a maze mm. on a planet somewhere. Because there's a guy living in the middle of it. He's been there for a number of years now. And now suddenly they need to talk to him. But And he's an eccentric genius and a bit of a dick? Um I mean, he's a bit of a dick, but he's not uh, he's not not he didn't build the maze. No, no, but he managed to get through it. Indeed. And, and the the fact that he's now popped a squat in the middle of this death trap, it seems like possibly this covers the um like a come a couple of those things. Oh yeah. <laughs> um well, the book yeah, so bits of the book are them try to figure out how the hell to get through this maze and it actually takes a while before you find out why they even want him because basically nice he he was there for nine years or so and nobody cared now suddenly they need to talk to him 
So yeah, that's kind of what it reminds me of as well. Just the, okay, so this bit's a complete death trap. How the hell do we get past this bit? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I wouldn't... Hmm, I wouldn't know what the best way to do... It would depend on people's preferred approaches mm. as to which the best way to tackle this would be. So if if people wanted to do sort of like drama-driven personality clashes resolved within the system, something more apocalypse worldly would be appropriate. Some people want to do... And, and I've discovered something recently I did not know previously, that, the, that I've seen a couple of things about the old-school Renaissance and some of the some piece of advice written about it, which I find interesting and wildly contradictory at the same time. Okay. Well, the ones that I, the ones I read, I'll see if I can scratch that, is they say things like, oh, you know, the players have to be self-starters. They can't... They, you're not going to give them a quest. They're going to have to go out and make a, a quest happen. Cool. Doesn't seem... This kind of means that, you know, that... The, the entirety of published adventures and so forth, that sort of thing. Seems a little bit at odds of that, and it seems to be not the way that like, D&D is traditionally played. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of um, insisting that the players ask the questions that the characters would be asking. It's random drumming in the distance. Hopefully it's not carrying through. Oh, no, I can hear it. That really sounds like drum practice, doesn't it? Possibly drum and bass practice. It, it feels like there is somebody twangling away on a uh, on a bass or something. All right. Hopefully, it's low enough that it'll be excusable. Anywho, <laughs> that is definitely drum practice. <laughs> it's not very fast, and it's not very certain. I, that's it. If um, we if we if we ever need new um, a, a a new theme song. For the big red couch, they have just given it to us. Anywho, we will do what we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the th- and the other thing was that you know, so the players should. I'd be asking questions about: Can I see? Is can, what can I? You know, what can I see? A mechanism that might be a trap on the chest and so forth. And it implied, which is intre- and, and you know, they should just be. Oh, I I roll to disarm. The, that that should I mean obviously the examples given were like the worst sort of there might be a trap I roll to disarm I've disarmed it carrying on the, the the bits where there were no interactions other than the very surface interactions with the rules which is obviously terrible and they were slightly strawmanny but the implication was that the GM and the players needed to kind of agree that the GM knows this much about traps on chests, and the players knows this much about traps on chests, and the player needs to do enough work to satisfy the GM that they have tried, that they have represented what the character would do in a situation like this to discover that there was, you know, something holding the, the lid down or something like that. There was a, there was a, a, a nigh-invisible wire somewhere. And which, A... Unless I've been reading all the wrong old role-playing games, or they immediately removed that from anything they published into a book, nobody ever described the an interaction in a game session like that. Not to that sort of not the sort of degree, really. Mm. It seemed that maybe just the, the word I'm saying is like very much emphasizing. Oh yeah, I've got to. You've got to check all of. You, you, I'm, I'm going down the tunnel, checking all of the um, the flagstones to see if they're loose, kind of thing. Like, but it involves both the GM and the players agreeing on how things would actually physically work and not shorthanding or simulating that the players know how they work because they live in this world and they've experienced these sorts of things because they've been doing this for a while and the GM giving them information that they would otherwise find that makes story that would make the story interesting not only would that apply to like a physical trap, it would apply to etiquette or getting on a horse or things like that. And it's like it would rely on the GM and the players all having a very similar set of experiences. And if the GM didn't have the same set of experiences, like they might be really big, like medieval recreationalists and understand how all this stuff works. But if it's outside of their experience, they'd be very hard pressed to get a good read on it, on something someone was trying to do. And I think I found that like extraordinarily limiting. 
some degree or it means that everyone has to kind of exist in the same bubble i have trouble or am having trouble effectively seeing how that gets fun um i mean for for me personally the whole you know linking linking it back to the whole necropolis death trap thing the idea of having having an rpg where you've got the big maps that people are filling out and they're noting down, okay, there's a death trap here, this is how we think it works, etc. Yeah, for me, that actually sounds quite fun, but I am aware that most of the people I have ever run games for or played games with would cheerfully murder me with those large maps rather than play that game. Yeah, and I th- I think also that insisting that the players determine what the problem set is via asking questions to the GM for every little bit bit and piece rather than saying the GM saying, Alright, you know this. You've got these outcomes that you can expect rather than like them constantly kind of pro I understand what the proactive thing is there, but making it all contingent on I mean, it, it reduces a lot of people's... I mean, some people have different levels of life experience. If you're dealing with young players, you know, who go, I swing my sword, you know, exactly how are you swinging your sword kind of thing. It's like people who... It, it kind of takes the fantasy of even the most mundane fantasy of I drive a car really fast or something like that. And it's it's that thing where the, where the person pulls a piece of particular information also you don't know where the hell they got it from they may have just got it from reading cowboy books or something like that you know mm. and you think oh that's not how that works it's like sure but yeah it's definitely a missing piece for me because a lot of the ogl stuff is osr not ogl let's not make that mistake again they've really limited rule sets very specific things that you either improvise wildly or you ignore a lot of the time and i think this is the this is the side of the coin that says oh ignore most of that just go with what the gm says was well, it the thing there's rulings not rules but again that means that the gm's fiat opinions about situations are what make it happen and that a at a and it if you share a brain space with a bunch of people and you know how this kind of stuff works and you're really keen on that sort of subject, those sorts of subjects, they overlap really well, awesome. If you're inducting new players, people may, be, may have not had the experiences. I mean, it could be folks with disabilities, folks from different cultures. That seems like a recipe for disaster. Or, at the very least, not a fun game. Not, well, we're not, we're, I, I was being hyperbolic, but I mean, mm. disaster in the terms of game enjoyment rather than global catastrophe but yeah i can I, I suppose i'm drawing the lines slightly differently but i can see sort of not a fun game as this is dull and disaster as every fucking session turns into an argument there's definitely grounds for a concern i feel that being able to put your point across successfully being the outcome of every encounter or be determining the outcome of every encounter, which is also probably why I'm not quite—I'm not very keen on that. Not being very confrontational, I don't feel like I convince people of anything particularly. That has been the majority of my um, professional career. Yes. They're trying to play the White Stripes. Yes. Seven Nation Army, or bits of Seven Nation Army. They're doing an okay job of it, but I wish was they'd fuck off 200 meters <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you wish they'd do an okay do- job of it at the bottom of the ocean somewhere in the stratosphere without oxygen yeah well no as i yeah as i say the, the, if everything becomes a conflict of, it also i think it, le- it leads to you know the stranglehold of the arbitrary gm and also the yeah because if people start talking at cross cross purposes and that's a real danger in role-playing games a lot of times it just be- could become a really miserable time Oh, you can very easily get into analysis paralysis in any game. Some of them are worse for it than others, but it seems like you're opening the door very wide for that one. Yeah, I think if if I was trying to run, if I was trying to run that game, probably the first thing I would want to do is sit down with the players and just come up with, okay, how do we how do we want to do this? What level of detail... Effectively, what level of detail is what we actually 
care about. I mean, me, I'm vaguely interested in how the death trap might work, but I get the idea that many people aren't and don't. They don't actually want to know. They certainly don't want to be involved in a discussion for every single death trap as to how that specific death trap works. That might suit some people, um, but you know, I suspect as the instant you start trying to do engineering models of Indiana Jones death traps, you're going to fall in a hole, as it were. It, and you know, Kevin did point and scream at me at one point when I was um, working out floor plans for a, a proposed uh, sequel to a Buffy the Vampire game, and was sort of figuring out elevator placement and stairwells. I mean, he was right to do so, to be fair. But, um, yeah, that, that was kind of how it indicated to me that I maybe was taking this a little bit too far. Um, right. So, have we, have we killed that, do you think? Um, I still should I try and articulate some ideas about why I feel weird about this thing. Because I may have done the original article. And the article in question is just something I think if I passed on me, I went, hey, oh, right, I think I get it now, because... I, you know, for a long time, the old school renaissance we seemed to be people obsessed with, you know, like the, the smell of like an aged role-playing game manual. Like, I couldn't see why being, eschewing all of the advanced technology that had been developed since the 70s had any appeal. But this makes a sense for being a reason, but I think it has the drawback that unless you already have a huge mind share in your group, it doesn't travel. And... Also, I think it's next to impossible to write down. It's no, it's no way to transmit it. It's like, I know everything about chest traps, but I, if I put them in a book of chest traps, everyone will know that. And there won't be a game anymore, to some level? It's like, yeah, I don't know. Also, it would be rather unwieldy, you know. The Trapped Chest Compendium Volumes 1 through 8 might not sell very well, and be, might be quite un- cumbersome. I know I'm waiting for the Netflix series, but yeah, that's just me. Yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of a revelation, a bit of a, no, thank you. You you feel you now have a better understanding of OSR, but not any greater appreciation for it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I and I, I don't, I don't want to yak anyone's yum, but it's it falls solidly into the the round flat sided container mark. Not for me. I was like, okay. I mean, I would like. I, I don't see the appeal. The game, a, a playing a game of that sort of thing may be fun. It's just like, uh, I just like my my stuff more loosey-goosey than that, to be honest. More, more wibbly-wobbly story stick. Well, yeah, that's because that's kind of the point. It's a story that I'm interested in, not the working the inner workings of, like, horse entrails or um, bit and bridle configurations or things like that. So it's like, mm. well, I'm not going to be getting you those books on your Christmas list. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, next you'll be telling me that that three-volume work on the, the, the outhouses of Europe is completely pointless as well. And then where are we? Civilization has crumbled. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Encyclopedia Cludgia um, <coughs> hasn't been as well-thumbed as you might have expected. Yeah, but I, on the other hand, I think we've just got a prompt for, for a future show. Uh, right. Not a good one, but okay. That's right. never stopped us before, and you know it. Okay, so, yeah. So I'll try, we'll try and whittle that down to something sensical, but, you know, and maybe put something up on MeWe to, to discuss the balls? <laughs> hmm. Oh, I mean, possibly people will, will, um, will come back with a... Um, with, with, with a, a, a stirring rebuttal and defense yeah, yeah, of, of, of OSR and it will get the sort of spirited debate that you hear about on other more popular podcasts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It maybe it'll flip my lid completely, I don't know. Yeah. It's just that, A, I'm a yeah, engineer and, well, technically an engineer and a pessimist, so I tend to see the, the, the problems first. But also, this doesn't resemble anything I've seen written down in a role-playing game ever. So it's like, cool article, but I miss even the thing that was supposed to lead on to this so interesting <laughs> yeah so after all that blather we have a contribution from John Rea the venerable Kitamono of uh, various forums and email which I will relate presently prompt song of the old gods the colour out of space album so after a winter break 
namely to work at paying jobs, the Black Sabbath tribute band, Goat Tranquility, is back on the circuit with a new shtick. They've added songs from an old Islamic hymnal that their manager found in Massachusetts. At least, that's what they think they're doing. Backstory. The band's manager, Vincent Bradley, went home to his parents' place in Boston, Massachusetts. While the other band members worked at their day jobs, he was helping his parents downsize for a move to a smaller place. That didn't keep his mum from dragging him along to an estate sale in nearby Innsmouth. Creepy town, creepy people, but the old geezer that passed away had had a lot of cool stuff. Vince's mum bought a couple of box lots, contents unseen for about $200. She hoped to offload them on eBay for a lot more than that. Back home, they sorted through them, and Vince came across an old leather-bound book with no title, but inside he recognised that it was vellum pages in Arabic script. He was able, through a phone app or translation programme, to work out it was a copy of a copy of a book by some Arab named Abdul al-Hazret. The nominal name of this book was Agnat Alahat Al-Kadima, which translated, and probably mispronounced, to The Song of the Ancient Gods. It had the subtitle Kalmat Awan Mil Al-Fada, or Lyrics of the Colour Out of Space. Apologies to anyone who's ever heard Arabic before, much less understands it. John made best efforts to provide a pronunciation guide. Well, Vince knew he had a gold mine here. The music would be kicking based on the titles alone, so he kept the book, letting his mum know, of course, and when he returned, he started translating the lyrics along with the band's head vocalist, Andy Del Toro, and the drummer, Nicky Hartman. To say it was difficult would be putting it mildly. They quickly learned the beauty of a bi-directional writing system, and that most of the words weren't actually Arabic. So they romanized them, and they did their best at figuring out how to pronounce let alone what it means. What they had found was a collection of hymns written by the mad Arab Al-Hazred. They are the songs the other gods sing as they dance around Azazoth. Not that anyone in Goat Tranquility could pronounce any of the lyrics correctly, either because they lacked sufficient mouths, or a tongue 15 centimetres wide and 40 centimetres long. Maybe Gene Simmons could. This is a Bureau 13 scenario, where the team gets alerted when one of the band's YouTube videos trigger the Big C alert. They said the band doesn't have a chance to say the words right, but they can get close, close enough that some form of nastiness could happen. Which, of course, does happen when the team confronts them during a rehearsal. For this, I'd use a Savage Worlds Adventure Edition, as that's the upcoming version of the game. I'd consider starting a media res, letting the players screw things up for themselves. So, what do you think, sirs? I think I should have attempted to pronounce Arab or Elder God ever again. I'd be tempted to suggest Fate of Cthulhu, the newly kick-started evil hat game, in which, well, the buttons have all come off, along with the wheels, and the stars are right. And humanity has just enough understanding of the Elder God's technology to hurl people back through time in an attempt to make them wrong again. And the process is really mildly corrupting, but having Bureau 13 agents enhanced people from a uh, stricken future and a band practice happening at the same time, eh, you can't get any more in media res than that, I feel. You're right. So, I wouldn't be that surprised if Gene Simmons turned out to be some sort of elder creature. Fair. Well, he is kind of elderly at this point. Um, Good point. Well made. Yeah, the the Kiss Army's probably going to chase me out of town for saying that, but okay. Yeah, it's okay. I, I, I know at least one of them. Somebody I used to work with was a colossal Kiss fan. It's a thing. Yeah, yeah, as I understand. Oh, just just to mention to to for those people who may be wondering what the fuck goat tranquility is, apparently because I went and did a search, goat tranquility cropped up in episode sixty one of the podcast, where the prompt was, "I am now the proud possessor of a haunted demon amplifier." Right, uh, and they went touring with their madness music. Right, of course that makes that makes a considerable amount of sense, and very much fits into the the oeuvre 
that we are apparently in the uh, midst of creating about terrible what's it state this was stadium rock weren't they uh, uh, glam, glam rock glam, glam rock cover bands oh uh, yeah speaking of which we seem to have one sliding through the uh, the interseas and the dimensions and the somewhere in this neighbourhood it's possible it's just a portal to some very early practice sessions by the white stripes but that seems increasingly unlikely it does I can't even identify what that song's supposed to be I've heard it before, but it's a really dreadful cover. Are they, is there a vocalist? Yeah, 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 yeah. This, the, 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 I've only just started noticing them. I just heard this <laughs> noise that wasn't the cat. So, no, it wasn't. Yeah. For a change, it was the cat. All right, so... Um, I think this is Iron Maiden? It is unrecognisable to me. <laughs> All right, so you've got a band who, for reasons of presumably hardcore rockness, have incorporated the works of the Mad Arab into uh, into their songs. Probably screwed it up, like, a lot. Well, to be fair, getting it completely correct is also screwing it up, so... (laughs) That is true. I, I do like the phrase, the big C alert. I'm trying not to imagine Spinal Tap versus Cthulhu, but it's a struggle. Yes. That's that, that, that's just a thing. I'm just going to throw that one out there, and, and I hope that it in some way um, flushes the idea from my mind. But yeah, the, the idea of Bureau 13. Well, especially if, if the song's on... If you've got a band who are releasing presumably early practice sessions and demos on YouTube for their upcoming album with the, with these songs from this this weird hymn book that they found presumably you're going to get little spikes of chthonicness just all over the globe it depends exactly how the rendering i suspect that that the authentic actual yowling and gargling would have to be on the premises it might be messing people up and giving them you know weird insights and so forth out on YouTube but mm. the actual summoning would be going down as, um, as John mentioned, confronting the, the team, confronting them during reversal, rehearsal. They, fin- they think they've finally cracked the cadence, so they get the, they can put all these weird chord changes in the same place, and which is you know, because you know, otherwise you have some sort of um, secret supernatural fighting investigation force rolling a bunch of baffled musicians rather than battling cathartic cath- horrors. Yeah. Yeah, to make to make this into sort of a, a slightly longer game, the idea of starting it off with the weird stuff occurring in yeah, small weirdness occurring in random spots around around the globe, or at least around the country, or depending on the style of band, maybe just around the Seattle Portland area. <laughs> to be how well um, well known they are. Indeed, yeah. If they're just vanishingly obscure, then. Yeah, maybe maybe they're the sort of band who do what uh, Bill Hicks referred to as, as as flying saucer tours. Yes, appearing in small towns in front of crowds of bewildered hillbillies. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, depending depending on how you wanted to go with that, you could you could have a bit of fun with it being a a wildly obscure. They're not bad, but just wildly obscure and fairly small band. So. Basically so that you don't have your team racing all around the globe trying to figure it out. And you realise, okay, something weird is happening in the woods around Seattle. What's going on in Washington? And then eventually it turns in, turns out to be this band who may have finally figured out how to get all of those syllables in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that has rather too many legs to it, I think. Of course, I am also thinking of a... The, the, the music video for Wood Goblins by Tad, which effectively involves people pissing around in the woods being creepy with chainsaws. So, yeah. Um, there's some rich material there. Yes. There's at least one song that I'm pretty sure is inspired by... Um, it's a synthwave... It's, synth, it's like an 80s synthwave thing. Frozen Nightmare or something by Fiat Lux. It's pretty catchy, so... Is that the one with... Like, there's, there's a noise in it that once you hear it, you can't not hear it? I remember yeah, yeah. you playing oh, a... something at us at one point that was like that. 
there, there's at least one of those where it is um there's 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 at least one unsound in there which is kind of uh it's pretty impressive yeah it's like a it's, it's like a hi-hat or something that just oh yeah the, yeah there's the hi-hat that will never go out of your brain if you if you don't um drink heavily yes okay yes i can i can remember that that it existed though i can no longer remember the song the song in question was called sleepless night creepy okay good to know good to know all right well as as is usually the case with john's idea they're pretty much a um a contained thing there's really not more a lot more we can do than just sort of dance around the edges throwing ideas at it and hoping that they stick or, or playing the 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 pipes that we hope will keep the the mindless chaos trapped within. But yes, mm. yeah. I mean, I keep I keep imagining this as being. Oh God! Oh, that's a terrible idea. Oh, what was I thinking? Oh no! What what's the idea? Are you familiar with the? I think it's the Brendan Fraser movie Airheads. Airheads, yes. Okay. Basically, take this idea. Have the band. Yeah, have have the band go to a yeah. They've actually gotten themselves a a a, a spot on a radio station. So your your you KEXP kind of thing. Who rather than going with bands that anybody's ever heard of, is just going with. Well, we've got somebody local. There was a yeah Doomtree cancelled. There's this goat tranquility people. We can get them here in half an hour. Um, yeah, this 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 should yeah yeah. It's not great, but this should, this should do the job. And you know, as sometimes happens. It all comes together on the night. They get it right. Everything's working. And now you've got this band of idiots, plus the staff of the station, trapped in the radio station as terrifying extra-dimensional horrors start to emerge. And they have this sickening feeling that maybe, just maybe, it was their fault, based on the fact that the sheet music and the playlist is bleeding. So yeah, it's kind of airheads meet Cthulhu kind of, kind of thing. I said it was a terrible yeah. idea. I, I'm pretty confident I said it was a terrible idea. Audient, if you didn't hear me say it was a terrible idea, Ben edited it out. I'm completely <laughs> blameless here. Yeah, yeah, that is... Um... <sighs> Just like he edits out all my comments about Proust. Indeed. I can't substantiate that even slightly. <laughs> Just to bring you bring you down to my, my facile level. <laughs> it's it my only revenge. Um, yeah, no, that would be ludicrous and funny hmm. I don't know there was there's the difference between John's take where you play the valiant investigators thwarting the not very bright band presumably stopping them from causing reality to explode or being the lump heads who've decided to try and play the song with the uh, pi over zero timing signature and <laughs> oh Conlon Nankaro's work <laughs> I, yeah. I I watched a video on that the the other day. Yes, the, the guy who composed music that not only cannot be played by humans that breaks the laws of physics. Nice, definitely need that. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Because Planck's constant is a real thing, Nancaro wrote music that cannot exist. Definitely the best use of someone's time. <laughs> it kept him off the streets. I cool. Yes. So if I was looking. For for an inspiration for, for that game, for the bunch of lumpheads attempt to deal with the thing they've done, I would probably go and try to rewatch Kung Fu Vampire Killers, which is an ultra-low-budget New Zealand film that is basically a mas- mashup of Mr. Vampire and Dracula set in a student flat in Dunedin. It's... Well, as the director said, if you're watching a film that's based on Dracula... And there's a blonde-haired woman called Lucy in it. Don't get attached. Fair enough. Have you seen the other local production, Bloodgasm? I have not. It's pretty amazingly funny. In fact, it has very much the same sort of feel of a recent documentary about alien weaponry, which is the Tereo Maori language heavy metal band who've just gone to Wacken, I think. And it's like, that's a remarkable achievement for, for three very young lads from... Oh, where are they from? From you know the the distant North Island, where there is very much little other than you know the odd occasional township. Yeah, Town- townships and dying towns, basically. Yeah, yeah, but no, that that's uh, I'll I will attach that. Cool, because that that was that was definitely pretty cool. But yeah, Bloodgasm is pretty much they played they played the, in fact they played the metal music so so well that you know 
it summons the end of the world and stuff goes on. So yeah, I think there's plenty of there's plenty of inspirational information for that. Movie. Okay, that's good to know. Um, all right, well, I think we've staggered to the end of another episode. Indeed. So thank you for bearing with us. Thank you, John, for your your excellent idea that we have done terrible terrible things to on air. Yes, and thanks to our uh, rhythm section, who may get us a copyright strike for that. Uh... I think it needs to be recognisable. Yeah, true, true. There was def- I could definitely picked. I definitely picked out. Uh, we got to get out of this place. The animals, or oh. who, who, who did it? Too. No, that was that was it was a very short version, but uh, warm up. Yeah, warm, you, get, you take your warm up music where you can. Yeah. I guess that's a standard. Gotta yeah. say. All right. So next episode's adventure. Because the experiment with audience voting on ideas has been quite cool. It has given us new ideas. That's kind of the point of the thing. But because of the timing of the thing, it actually means that we've only got a few days to come up with something once the prompt is drawn. Personally, I've found that has not really been producing what could laughably be called my best work. And we've recorded the evidence so you can draw your own conclusions. Indeed. And because we had... For the voting for episode 123, we got a tie. We now also have the prompt for episode 124, which Ben will announce now. The prompt for 124 that was selected is Thunderstep's suggestion of everything is alive on this starship. Which possibly just means they haven't cleaned in, like, a really long time. Ew. But also, because the idea of having a bit more wiggle room is, frankly, appealing, what we're going to try doing is doing the drawer a bit more in advance. So that, effectively, we're going to be drawing the prompt for the episode after next. It's going to get a bit confusing, to be honest. I'm already confused, and I'm looking at the numbers. Each time we put up a poll, we'll say what the next episode has been selected, and that we are selecting for the one afterwards. That was a way better way of saying it. So the options for... The episode after next, which will be Big Red Couch 125, will be... It's all downhill from here. Which Planet Soccer? Malevolent Immediacy. And, if we don't go there, who will? Fraught silence. Apparently not us. So, many varied options there. By the time this episode drops, the poll should already be up. And if it isn't, you can assume that I massively dropped the ball. Indeed. So, either way, we're covered. Mm hmm. All right. So, thank you for joining us for the hijinks of tomb temperature. Definitely a funeral parlor reality TV show, I think about it. Oh. Dang. All right. Oh. Hey, so right, wasn't, wasn't there everything. Re- we'll go back, record the whole thing. Well, wasn't there, no, hang on a there's already that. Wasn't there six feet under? Yeah, yeah, kind of. It would be, uh, yeah. It yeah. Would, maybe we're treading on those toes a bit. Yeah. We <laughs> we don't want to get any more into copyright violation than they, we already have with the uh, the Big Red Couch uh, backing band, apparently. Um, <sighs> Chunk Weasel, I think I'm going to call them. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> the Big Red Couch backing band Chunk Weasel. Yeah, yeah. That's a new thing. <laughs> All right. I like it. That, that, that's brilliant. We'll, we'll um, leave on that. Indeed. So it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. And it's good night from Chunk Weasel. <laughs> good night. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time!